Hi, welcome to the Beautiful Breakthroughs podcast. I'm Stephen Budden. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Edenbound, why I wrote it, and what it means. For many years, I've been studying optimal nutrition for humans, and I've been amazed at the journey. Optimal nutrition is not a simple topic. It is, in fact, one of the most complicated topics I'm aware of, because the more you study it, the more you realize that there are no single truths. There are no single sources of truth. Everyone is working both from their own experience and from their own level of perception. There are so many trends, and each of them have their benefit to one demographic or another, it seems. Many of them have a short-term benefit and have not been analyzed for the long term. Some of them hold up in scientific studies, but not in actual experience. So I wanted to write Edenbound to lay out my own idiosyncratic journey. Edenbound is about healing trauma and disease with fruit and other plants. And that is radical today in some sense because, well, I'll I'll get more into that, but mostly paleo, primal, keto approaches are what are popular these days. And that's an interesting take on things because they haven't necessarily solved our riddles in the past. I believe Atkins' diet was initially tested for cancer and it it failed, it did not work. And that was a high-fat, high-protein diet. It worked for some conditions, though, and I've recently been impressed by the work of Thomas Cowan, the anthroposophical heart doctor, and he wrote a beautiful book, Human Heart, Cosmic Heart, And his assessment was that most of what we learn about the heart, most of what we learn about most organs in my experience, but for him, it's the heart is wrong. And most of what doctors will teach you about lowering cholesterol, um, decreasing arterial sclerosis in the heart, those are all wrong advice. And he outlines something like a Weston Price approach in his book, along with some herbs a particular herb that evolved at the same time as the heart according to anthroposophical philosophy and Rudolf Steiner, if you're familiar with that. And let's just go into the heart for a minute since we're there. The heart is our prime organ and it's our main source of uh, premature death. Cancer and heart disease, I believe heart disease is still higher, but you know, there's a lot of... (laughs) errors in these statistics. But if you look at the heart, there's a lot we need to unlearn about even that. And some of what I'd read in Human Heart, Cosmic Heart, I'd known about, and some of it was very new to me. Very beautiful experience when something like that happens, when you look into an organ that you've (laughs) lived with, heard about, and been with your whole life. My grandfather had uh, various quadruple bypasses, and Almost everyone we know has been touched by some sort of not so much a heart ailment as a heart interacting with the medical establishment. So we're very familiar with that model. Similarly with cancer, though a little bit less so for some of us. Now the heart is, uh, we learn that it's this muscle that has to grind through, grind through, grind through day to day. And so it's with that philosophy in mind, And we are a constellation of stories, it's what we are. With this idea of the heart as this constant uh, grind, 
it's not a joyous view of life. And Louise Hay said, people with heart disease, people who died of heart attacks were rarely joyous people because the heart symbolizes um, a force that pushes, pushes joy, which is the blood through the body. And you can see in this culture, uh, I'm talking from the United States now, this can apply to many cultures. We are not particularly joyous in our day-to-day activities. We focus on other things. Uh, happiness is not one of our highest priorities. We think that other things will bring happiness. But Thomas Cowan was exploring various other theories. In Edenbound, I talk a little bit about Arnold Eret. He's a fruitarian who seemed to reach a level of immunity to the most dangerous diseases of the time, cholera and some others, and he tested his blood pressure or his pulse on these long treks in cholera-infested jungles and just showed that he was immune to it, and he published his uh, observations in the vegetarian journals of the time. And I believe uh, that was in the 1920s. He started lecturing, and he passed away soon after due to a trauma, which is interesting because um, trauma would be one of the only ways we passed away if, if humans were living in alignment with their natural architecture. That's one of the prime assumptions we're going to be dealing with here on this blog and in the book and in other places and through the products. What if humans lived where they only, <laughs> they lived in joy free of disease and they only passed away by choice or natural causes peacefully in their sleep? That is what we are going for here, and that is why I call the book Eden Bound. We're never quite in Eden. We are bound for Eden (laughs) because uh, there's so many influences at play here that even if you eat perfect nutrition, there are other physiological stress and emotional factors, though I'll talk a little bit about those going forward too. There's also electromagnetic radiation, various types of pollution, and unnatural chemicals in the environment which interact with our biology in certain ways are both predictable and unpredictable. It just depends on your vantage point. I was saying that we'll talk about stress a little bit later, and we might as well do that now. I've been reading uh, Homo Optimus by Jan Kwasniewski, I believe his name is, and he, he ran a clinic from the 70s into the 90s, helping various people heal various conditions uh, using kind of a high-protein, high-meat, high-animal product diet, similar to Western Price, completely avoiding grains and completely avoiding starches, uh, considering them very detrimental to the system. And I've certainly come across that theory before. He's more anti-fruit, which, of course, having written Edenbound, I believe there's healing power in fruit. And there's this 1982 lecture by Werner Erhard, who I appreciate, and he was saying that in America, (laughs) in the world, this train, we're on this train and it's heading for the future. And people in the train, they run from the left side to the right side to the left side based on what they're learning, what they're experiencing, and the train keeps barreling forward toward its (laughs) destination. There's no... There's no changing course just from running back and forth. And I feel like a lot of that is going on with diet. With diet, there is paleo, and then there's vegan, and then there's 
high meat and no meat. There's low fat and high fat. There's low carb and high carb. And people not knowing what to do and testing everything um, seem to be just still barreling forward toward their destination of dying in the typical way that our recent ancestors have. And that's, that's very tragic, and that's what we're here to change. And Werner, in the lecture, he says, the way to change this equation is to go out in front of the train and add some more track and sort of start to train, tra- <laughs> change the direction of the train instead of everyone running back and forth. Of course, only a leader can stop the meandering back and forth and get out in front of the train, whatever that means, and start, <laughs> start like redirecting course for humanity. I have been thinking about what to focus my attention on, and it just it always comes back to nutrition because that's one of the red flags. If if you brought nutrition, actual nutrition, both conversations about what it is and what actual foods are to the masses, we would have a lot less <laughs> of our trials and tribulations, and our the crime rate would go way down. Not only does it heal the body, decrease healthcare costs, create a kind of race of superhumans. It also um, decreases violence because people's brains start functioning. They're not in a state of constant starvation. <laughs> the, the neural pathways can actually function and work. People become more peaceful. And it's interesting that um, Jan Kwasniewski wrote this in Homo Optimus. His op- diet was called the Optimal Diet. He was Polish and it spread all over Poland. Poland had a famously poor diet. And he was... Um, he says on that diet, there's little, there's little um, movement toward violence. There's little inclination toward uh, being cruel to people, which is interesting because on the other side you have, you have the fruitarians who say the same thing. They get very peaceful and um, strong in terms of certain types of athletic activities. For instance, there's a Michael Arnstein, a fruitarian marathoner who found that he healed almost instantly after a marathon. He could run with his best times ever. I have a friend who's a vegan marathoner. He does very well with it, and he's continually improving his time. So there are certain activities where that's you're strong in some body systems and peaceful. Uh, the more meat-based, you're more muscular, more dense, and peaceful. So it's interesting because... Now I'll go back to what Eden is. Eden is this archetypal story. We live in this paradise. We have this in our consciousness from hearing the myths and the stories. And if you consider it historical fact, that's fine. However, there's there's plenty of ways to look at it. But part of it is we live in this Eden state and we throw ourselves out of it. We descend into chaos and then here we are now, right? <laughs> the fall from grace that happens for everyone. And... You, you, you have these apples and these fruits. These are part of the story. There's Adam and Eve and there's a snake and there's these fruits. And of course, in my meanderings, I've used fruit for healing and Dr. Morse on YouTube heals almost every condition and documents it fairly well with fruit uh, and herbs. Healing with plants, very low protein. He believes that protein uh, creates violence. Like if you give a primate some protein, they'll go around smashing things and try to dominate. And um, and that the the diet has been altered in people to kind of create a certain response in them that the powers that be would want. And the homo optimus, uh, Jan says the same thing. Kwasniewski says the same thing because... Um, 
he says that there were this elite sects of priests that knew about eating high protein diets and they were super effective in their brain powers. They could kind of lead the masses and the other people didn't quite know what was going on. People, essentially people fed on grain become like cattle. And we kind of can intuit this. This may be possible. Although his secondary diet is the Japanese diet and then you live mostly on grain, but you you temper these other things. You eat low fat and Essentially, he says, if your body's running on fat, don't eat carbs. If your body's running on carbs, don't eat fat. Don't mix the two. We've known a little bit about food combining since the early part of the century when uh, Pavlov, who's famous for the Pavlov's dogs experiment, he he did some experiments where someone was shot in the stomach and he, he put a piece of glass in the stomach and watched them digest different foods. And he saw that when you digested the uh, starch and a protein together that digested much more slowly. One requires a base and one requires an acid. And as you know, if you pour a base in an acid, it just sort of creates <laughs> gas and complications. So um, that gets me back to my point. There is no truth. Not one of these is necessarily wrong or right. He, in Homo Optimus, he writes that you can heal just about anything with this uh, optimal food, this animal-rich, meat-based diet and no grains, and that's similar to the Western Price stuff. Uh, It's not exactly the whole (laughs) answer. He says in Eden they started eating apples and that was the fall from grace. So these apples were the villainous thing. And and advocates taking out all the fruit trees in the country, uh, particularly apple and pear trees, which are the most villainous fruits we could eat. So then we go back to um, the fruitarian approach and and Atarov, an uh, Iranian raw foodist who raised a raw daughter and wrote raw eating and was a doctor, a chemist, and wrote and sent like hundreds of his books all over the world and tried to spread this message with not much success, but he seemingly lived a very long time and died in a prison for his beliefs in his 90s, from what I could tell on a forum, which is sad. And uh, what are these beliefs that are so radical? Well... <laughs> if you eat in any of these ways where you're eating natural foods, uh, natural foods that are aligned with the human architecture, you start to thrive and see things differently. You're not one of the cattle you start to rise above. This is dangerous in some situations. You're going to be shut down. In other ones, you may be free to actually thrive. We may need to find our way to um, find our place in the culture as leaders and how do leaders eat and are they overweight and are their systems running well? Do their brains function? That's very, this is all very interesting and we tend to not look at things that way. We do notice that in the hood, people are mostly given very few options of fresh produce and they have like church's chicken and KFC and McDonald's everywhere and there's skyrocketing violence and drug use and it's because they're not aligned with what's human and it's not necessarily anything to do with them. They're addicted to these things since they're kids, as a lot of us were, and that may be part of the system. We're all working here to break free of that, to find food again, to become human again. If you look at genetically modified corn, uh, one of the reasons they're genetically modified is to like knock down the alphas so that everything kind of grows the same height. So one plant isn't overshading another and taking all the nutrients. They want millions of corn (laughs) stalks to grow the same. And so they can eat them. And that's kind of a powerful metaphor. And that's kind of how it is. If you take in that food, what happens to you? This is why 
genetically modified food is a little bit suspicious and we need to really keep an eye on what's happening with it and the labeling and the laws. And in the meantime, eat things <laughs> that we know are natural. Natural means ancient, but I'll get back to that in a second. What I was saying is that for some people, fruit was all they ate in the Garden of Eden. And then the fall was when they looked around and started eating animals. Uh, and then, so the fruit is linked to their paradise state. And there may be different genetics, Neanderthal and other <laughs> hom early hominid genetics that are mixed into this that can affect the equation. However, uh, Dr. Morse has a lot of success with using fruit for cancer and Parkinson's and MS and all kinds of bowel conditions and skin conditions. Basically, it's funny because he has three hour long videos and it's always eat fruit and take these or it's always the same advice. <laughs> So there's never any surprises there. It's never going to say, no, eat a steak. It's like, no, try to wean off of starches and eat more fruit and more raw fruit. That leads us to like, are vegetables really, really healthy? Well, a lot of them aren't natural. As Hilton Hotema wrote, fields aren't really natural. They're only after deforestation. Is there something like a field? And a lot of what we eat now requires fields to kind of cultivate. They're not really natural. Um, so vegetables having evolved over time with selective breeding and other kinds of uh, genetic modification and whatever to make them more palatable, more delicious, less tough, more edible, less bitter. A lot of those things we lessen are the, are the medicinal value in the plant. And as you have heard Hippocrates say, let thy medicine be thy food and thy food be thy medicine. It's interesting all the benefits of fasting too. I think we're going to get into fasting a lot because fasting, people can live for extraordinarily long with fasting and they start to feed off of like energetics, sun energy more, breath more. I had an acquaintance who started who started sun gazing when he was in his 20s and he he was no longer sexual. It just he just like that's all he changed, but he was like fulfilled in some way where he didn't want to be sexual anymore, which is, you know, frustrating for his partner. It just shows that as we alter our way of being with the world, uh, it changes the way the body's circuits are using different types of energy. And fasting seems to accentuate the use of other things beside the solid foodstuffs. So if we intermittent fast each day or spend like a majority of our life fasting, like Wim Hof does something like eating one meal a day, and he's got some fascinating experiments. We don't all want to be that extreme. Some of us want to be more extreme. It doesn't really matter. The point is, we us doing that allows us to uh, change change the equation somewhat. And Arnold Eret was his books are all about fruit and fasting. So you fast for long durations. He did like I think like <laughs> sixty day fasts. Brother Air did 119 day fast. People have done really long, just water fast. And at the end you eat fruit and it breaks all the congestion and the mucus up in the colon. And it just pushes everything out from like your whole life. And it takes a few of these fasts to be fully, fully <laughs> engaged again and fully, fully cleared. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. So we don't necessarily, we have ideas of what Eden is and then we trace this Eden story. And in stage one, this apple, <laughs> actually pre-stage one this, there's already controversy around the story so I think we read those types of stories, those types of myths that's just one story and we go into whatever is potentially uh, whatever we can relate to and yes healing has happened on eating mostly meat and yes healing has happened on eating mostly fruit 
the meat people say fruit is really bad and vice versa. And it's probably true if you're if you're primarily engaged in one, you don't want to divulge <laughs> and like go jump into the other side, uh, overindulge yourself. And so uh, we want to make sure that we keep those channels and those pathways open. And I want to create a conversation around what this means, not just a conversation of zealots saying, this is my thing and I'm adhering to it till I die. And not just a conversation of science says this, so we have to ignore all other types of evidence. This is a conversation that's holistic and includes, oh, like science says don't do this, but my grandfather did this and he never had an issue or science says this will kill you and this whole race lived on this and they live to be 120 etc so or even like this channeled teaching says eat all of this so it must be right because it's channel teaching but then if you do that you know you're a goner <laughs> like like speaking in terms of history i think of the medical medium and his thing is just eat more fruit and less of these other things but there's a lot about uh eating a lot of potatoes <laughs> putting onions on them so they heal and then eating some apples apples uh it's it's sort of to me not enough it, it's powerful in that it says eat more fruit and eat more vegetarian and less protein that's great however that's only one piece of the equation as we're seeing and um in parting cleaning up your diet not only that but finding what actual food is there's a lot of practitioners that really hone in on what this is these ancient foods and then eating those <laughs> primarily will cause your body to reach a different state and your life to evolve. And we're going to figure out ways to do that. And that's the primal, that's the primary way to transform yourself and evolve yourself. And that's a revolutionary act, the most revolutionary act I can think of because the whole culture is designed for us to kind of fit into our place and be silent. And now we're all literally wearing masks with this virus, which. I'll get into later how viruses work and don't work and the different theories around them and how um, we haven't... The one thing the medical establishment has not been successful with at all is preventing disease. Like, <laughs> look at cancer. So the treatments don't necessarily work and the prevent <laughs> preventatives don't necessarily work. The prevent That's because they can't work. The, what we're eating creates these conditions and then we try to prevent them with pharmaceuticals, which is more of the same level of thinking. And like Einstein said, to paraphrase, you can't solve a problem with the same level of thinking that created the problem. That's what we're doing. So I'm introducing another level of thinking, which is why don't we eat actual food for a long time, <laughs> introduce it to people. And I mentioned this because it's a revolutionary act. So we need to go around some bureaucracies, grassroots it. Dr. Sebi found that he could cure AIDS and all these diseases with dietary and herbal shifts. And um, he brought it to Africa and different communities in the United States. And he was essentially thrown out. So they don't necessarily, as an en masse, want to heal those things. The political powers that be, that's okay. Or else they don't believe that it can be done. That's okay too. However, it's up to us to heal ourselves. We're, we're the one that put them in positions of power. <laughs> We're the ones that need to take our power back. And it starts with the individual, healing the self, letting the systems realign, healing the nervous system, opening up the awarenesses which come naturally with opening up these energy channels. And I'm very excited to share this journey with you. And that's why I'm launching this podcast and various other things. So uh, you can find Eden Bound by me, Stephen Budden, on Amazon. 
I think there's a romance novel called Edenbound. It's not that one, although <laughs> I can't vouch for that one. But I look forward to uh, connecting with you again soon. Until then, keep on healing. We have a sexy topic this evening. Mucus. Ooh, mucus. What is it? A lot of practitioners like Arnold Errett and Dr. Sebi considered mucus to be the root of all illness. Some foods, they said, increased mucus in the body and some decreased it. The purpose of any healing regimen was to clear the system of mucus so one could be a free-flowing channel for the life force. Arnold Errett called his diet the mucusless diet healing system. And he used fruit and fasting to break up mucus in the body. These practitioners thought that wherever mucus showed up, that's where the symptoms showed up. So if mucus showed up in the lungs, you could have bronchitis or pneumonia. If it showed up in the nose, you could have sinitis or general congestion. In the head, you could have Alzheimer's, dementia, congestion of the head, meningitis. So everything comes down to mucus. Now where the mucus shows up has more to do with genetics or energetic weaknesses in the body or potentially the residue of past trauma. But mucus is the cause of all illness in this paradigm. It eventually starts to break down the body. It coats the intestine. Putrid waste begins to back up. Bacteria and parasites feed off of it, and the whole system gets thrown out of balance. That's one account, to be a human, free-flowing energy source, flowing with the life force, in flow with the world around, in the moment, present. People who achieve this mucusless state report being immune to most of the illnesses that we consider incurable. Dr. Sebi reported to have cured lupus and AIDS. And he was, of course, taken to court for making those claims by the FDA. As many of the successful practitioners, alternative practitioners in history have been, they've been sort of shut down because they were a threat to the system. Of course, this was under the guise of protecting individuals from the snake oil salesmen. Arnold Errett died in the early 1920s. He had slipped on pavement soon after beginning a series of nationwide lectures in the United States and knocked his head against a curb and was dead a few minutes later. Very mysterious, if you ask me. Dr. Sebi died in a prison in Honduras in 2014. Also pretty suspicious. Both of these men did a lot to further the idea that mucus was the root of most illness. And if you believe their accounts, testimonials, and the accounts of their followers, they were actually very successful practitioners. So their system does hold a lot of weight. I like the Arnold Errett version because it's very simple. You just work up toward an all-fruit diet. And when you plateau, you mix in fasting. Fasting loosens 
draws toxins out of the tissues and then the fruit flushes through and pulls them off the intestinal wall and flushes them out of the body. So you always follow up fast with fruit. In the 80s and 90s, Tony Robbins was playing with this concept in his lectures, this idea that fruit was the most healing and he was also very into the raw food movement. I don't know that he is anymore. He's probably balanced that out somewhat. But he used to advocate eating only fruit before noon. And later, he declared that that was not the way to do it, that you needed to eat high-frequency, low-sugar foods because he and his wife had a live blood test and showed all sorts of parasites in the blood. His wife, who'd also regularly partaken of dairy, showed more of the little entities crawling around in the bloodstream than he did. But they were both able to reduce them dramatically by changing the diet. So he attributed that to the fruit before noon, and that is the case. It's not that fruit is bad, as some practitioners think mistakenly, and a lot of contemporary people that are into paleo and keto. It's just that there are different energy pathways, and fruit is a clean burning source of energy but it can't be mixed with other proteins and high fats and other sources of energy. This is why high-carb, low-fat diets provide healing for some, and high-fat, medium-protein, low-carb provide healing for some because they're both paths that have their own uh, pros. They've both been proven to heal certain conditions for certain people. And that's very radical... People want to be on one side, this is my truth, and people on the other side saying, this is my truth, and that's fine. There are grains of truth in all of these (laughs) pieces. And there's also a lot of untruth, misinformation strewn throughout the equation that's really harming people. You could be 99% accurate and be eating one thing that destroys the the whole product of your efforts. So it's important to really sift through every sentence and every word to find what's resonant with you and then do deep research on what real food is. The mucusless food is real food. The body produces mucus to protect itself against inflammatory agents. Now there's also the opposite side of this. People say we need mucus and of course we need some level of mucus. I had a... acquaintance and colleague Master Wong of the Medicine Buddha Temple recently passed away and he was also an advocate of mucusless eating. He advocated some grains though, some ancient grains like Dr. Sebi. He was sort of in between Erhart and Sebi and unfortunately he passed away so his immune system was somewhat compromised. And this thing about needing some mucus is I've wrote mo- most recently read about in Homo Optimus by Jan Kwasniewski and he wrote that the Russians during World War One, they had a hearty constitution because they were eating mostly meat meat and fat, fatty dairy and fatty meat and cartilage and tissue of animals and eggs and organ 
he considered the ideal foods. And if you ate those, you had a very strong constitution. You were immune to most diseases. You're immune to the disease that took Master Wang, for instance. And um, these Russians were reported to have been able to drink very hot beverages without flinching and drink just straight vodka because their mucous membranes were so strong. So you can read this as a coating of mucus in the body. And I've worked a lot with mucus. You'll know that when you start cleansing, it starts pouring from the body from like seemingly every orifice. It's not pretty. And it doesn't matter if you want to call it mucus, it's not always the same consistency. Arnold Errett thought that any dry skin flaking off of the body was mucus leaving the system in whatever ways it could. Earwax was mucus. Uh, congestion in the nose, like flicking skin off the eyebrows or the beard or the face or anywhere on the body. Just dried mucus. There are different types of mucus, so we can take it to mean detritus that the body is trying to slough off. And certain foods, again, facilitate this. This interesting thing about the positive benefits of mucus, because on certain cleansing diets, the mucus just keeps coming and you never know if it'll stop. <laughs> so it's difficult to discern whether it's purging it or whether it's creating it. I have not reached a fully mucus-free state. I've eaten mucus-free foods for many, many months and mucus lean foods for many, many more months. Those are foods that are somewhat mucus producing. And there was still always a constant flow of uh, <laughs> mucus coming out in the mornings every day. And some uh, odd shapes and sizes and colors. And you can imagine whatever you want to imagine. Get comfortable with it because if you're going to be cleansing, you're going to be seeing the same. Is it true that meat and animal products are healing and on the other spectrum, fruit is healing? Uh, the author of Sapiens says that the agricultural revolution was most destructive to humanity out of any, of any other single event. And we have these stories of the gods bringing us grains for whatever reason and us taking to those grains and then our health declining dramatically. And history not exactly being accurate on what lifespans are, etc. But it seems that grains really don't go well with the human system. Most of them are inflammatory. You have traditions that consider grains sacred. Uh, there's a Bulgarian mystic who did a fast where you eat a certain amount of grain on different stages. The moon sprouted whole grain wheat in a certain weight that was a symbolic number, and this could really heal you. I've seen a YouTube video of people eating sprouted grains and having kind of flashbacks of their past lives in Egypt. Something to do with that time period and the introduction of grains and the memories relating back to that time. And Dr. Sebi thought that certain grains, like millet and quinoa, were alkaline. And there's, there's a, a link between acidic and mucus forming and alkaline and mucus free or mucus lean. He said that though the millet 
contained starch, it was an okay kind of starch. For starch and mucus are very linked as well. He thought that anything that had starch was unnatural. Dr. Sebi did, and he thought that starch was a man-made invention that bound two unnatural things together. And if you started to build up starch in your body, your thoughts would be unnatural. This is interesting because Jan Kwasniewski thought that if you ate grains, you were akin to cattle, and that's how the powers that be kept you under control. Which makes some sense because if you think of Chinese traditional Chinese medicine or Ayurveda, these are the healing systems of the country and they advocate sustaining oneself on grains. Grains are easy to control and they're easy to store. They're a byproduct of the agricultural revolution and it makes sense that uh, they would kind of tie down nomadic cultures or cultures that were out foraging. If you think of fruit, foraging for fruit, wandering around, foraging or chasing a wild herd of animals, these were a different type of lifestyle. You'd be much more difficult to control as a society, particularly if your brain was functioning optimally. There's some interesting writings about diet shifts and shifts in consciousness and shifts in brain performance. And if you're eating an ideal diet, you have a intuitive faculties that are awakened and also logical faculties that outshine most of the people around you. You can think through issues, see broader pictures, solve different kinds of problems. It just changes the level of consciousness. I've talked a little bit about in my last podcast about the difference between the interpretations of the Eden state and my book is called Eden Bound about the fruit healing tradition. In one, the apple was the idyllic food. In a history of the Basque people I read recently, there were some witches that lived on the mountain. Some older herbalist women, they lived mostly on apples, and they were considered witches because they lived seemingly forever and free of disease. And the medical medium has written about the healing power of apples, Apples have a, the tradition of an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Arnold Errett met a man when he was younger who always had an apple in his pocket. And this man was tall and strong and that kind of inspired him. Oh, hey, I should eat apples. And then you have Jan Kwasniewski saying that apples represent the fall. We Apples were considered the least healthy food in history at that time, so they... When we ate apples, that was the temptation. That was the fall. All diseases followed. We left our natural state of feeding on animal products and low-carb, high-fat diet, and we fell for the sugar of an apple. It's hard for me to judge this because I would eat certain kinds of apples when I was young and out in the sun. It would sometimes make me feel ill, but I would often eat them with cheese or something similar, so it's hard to really gauge what was the apple. But if you're working hard in the sun and you eat an apple, these were also probably non-organic apples and maybe some sort of genetic modification was happening. I don't know exactly, but they certainly weren't organic and anywhere off of a recently plucked off of a tree. So this is the narrative and this is how we piece together history 
based on what we learn, what we encounter, who we meet, what they teach us, and what our life experience teaches us. This is why it's dif difficult to come to firm conclusions. It's almost as though everyone gets an initial impression when they're young. If you hear them talking about their dietary theory, it's validating something that happened when they were younger. And then they're just, <laughs> they're just finding proofs for it. And I feel somewhat similar. My mother healed herself from crippling arthritis when I was young. And through cleansing and juicing and essentially a vegetarian diet. And I've been trying to verify the truth of that ever since. So, The Mucusless Diet Healing System by Arnold Errett is essential reading, as is, are any of the YouTube videos by Dr. Sebi. He speaks very eloquently and poetically and ties very disparate topics together and will make you think about the history of the food and what you think is food that actually isn't. It is not aligned with the human architecture. So I hope that rambling was <laughs> appetizing and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you so much. I'm Stephen Budden and this is Beautiful Breakthroughs.